Turns out the rumors are true. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 519. Thanks for joining me again this week. I'm going to be running a solo adventure today, talking through profit sharing, stock options, and equity, and doing a comparison of those various approaches with the thought of incentivizing employees and team members in mind. This is a conversation that I have had at least five times and maybe six in the past three months. So I figured it was time to put some thoughts to tape so it's a resource I can use to point people at in the future. And if you're thinking about whether, you know, as a bootstrapped or mostly bootstrapped startup founder, whether to set up a profit sharing plan to offer stock options, to do equity grants, or to just pay bonuses or other ways to incentivize your team members, that's really what I'm going to be working through today. But first, I got a couple of the best podcast reviews I think we've ever had. The first one is from Brett Kelly via Apple Podcasts, and he said, Rob is the Chuck Norris of bootstrapped founders. Thanks for all you do, Rob. I really appreciate that, Brett. I appreciate the sentiment and, and the creativity of it. The other one, the subject line is the podcast that changed my life. This podcast was instrumental in my journey from blah day job to successful tech founder. Rob and Mike, for the first 450 episodes or so, bring useful, actionable advice every week. I also really appreciate the honest delivery with none of the radio DJ sliminess that so many podcasts seem to embrace. So thank you so much for those reviews. And if you haven't left us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you partake of this show, I would really appreciate it because it definitely helps keep us motivated and it helps bring more new listeners to the show. Next, I wanted to mention Hey.com. Now, I've mentioned in the past that Basecamp is a headline partner with MicroConf and in partnership with MicroConf, I have had a few Basecamp ads on this show. We are switching those up and they are now for Hey. So it's H-E-Y.com. If you're listening to this podcast, you may have heard of it. If you go to Hey.com, you'll essentially see that the folks at Basecamp have created an entirely new email service. And they say, it's email's new heyday that email sucked for years. Not anymore. We fixed it. Hey's fresh approach transforms email into something you want to use, not something you're forced to deal with. Hey allows you to screen your emails like you screen calls. You can fix bad subject lines without busting threads. Easily find your most important emails every time you log in. They have a built-in reply later workflow that was built from the ground up. And they block email tracking pixels, among many, many other things. I know many of you listening are already using Hey.com, but if you have not checked it out, head to Hey.com and you can try it free. Thanks to Basecamp and Hey for supporting independent startups and supporting MicroConf and startups for the rest of us. So let's dive into our topic for today. As I said at the top of the show, I'm going to be talking through profit sharing, stock options, and equity. And actually touch on bonuses real quick, just as a side note, because it occurred to me as I was writing this outline that I, I should probably address that. I had this conversation a bunch of times in the past three, four months and have sent out a bunch of thoughts via email to folks. And I realized if I just gathered those thoughts, put the bullets on paper and, and talked it through that I could probably create, you know, hopefully a, an evergreen resource for folks who are thinking about motivating their team members. I should be really clear that I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. Do not consider this legal or tax advice or any other kind of advice other than things that I have learned from my own experience dealing with these types of incentive programs. 
And I'd also like to point out that I actually had a conversation with Drew from Trends.VC. And if you haven't checked out Trends.VC, Drew is putting out two reports a month on different trends that he's seeing in the startup space, the bootstrapping space. And, and he's creating really insightful reports and thoroughly thought out reports. I believe the reports are about $20 each if you want to buy the paid version. Each one has a free version or you can just subscribe for really a nominal fee per year. And I'm a premium subscriber. And he and I had a conversation a couple weeks ago when he was preparing his report on profit sharing. So if you haven't checked that out, head to trends.vc. And again, you can pay one off 20 bucks to read his report on that's focused on profit sharing. But today I'm going to be talking about profit sharing, stock options, equity, and, and touch a little bit on bonuses. So let's start with this first question of, I have one team member, five, 10 team members. Why should I give them anything beyond just a salary or their hourly rate anyways? And the idea is to align incentives. It's to motivate people, not just by giving them amazing work to do every day, but to give them a financial incentive to really to, to stick around. And, and some people look at it as a retention incentive to not go elsewhere if they can do the same work and make more money. Others look at it as a way to make people just enjoy their jobs more or want to work a little harder, put in some extra hours because they feel like they can make a difference. There's a lot of different ways to do it. And of course, this is not a requirement, right? Giving bonuses or profit sharing isn't a requirement, but I do personally feel like if your team is is cohesive and is working hard to get to the same end goal and you are creating profit or you're creating value, you're creating wealth, to me, it does feel right to in some way share that with your team members. And so the first question of why not just give bonuses well, you can. And maybe in the early days, that's something to think about. The big downsides to that is oftentimes bonus programs are pretty arbitrary. You really just have to kind of make a call and say, oh, you get a few thousand here, you get 5,000, you get two weeks of pay at the end of the year, whatever. It can feel a little squishy if you try to do this over time for many years. People can feel like they get left out or they play favorites or if they talk amongst one another, they can feel like perhaps you're giving more money to someone who maybe you know doesn't deserve it. You also don't want to re invent the wheel every year. You don't want to have to reevaluate every year who gets how much bonus and why. And as I said, it can kind of feel or, or even be arbitrary. In addition, there have been lawsuits from employees of companies where they're given a bonus every year and they've come to count on that bonus as part of their income. And the employees won, at least this was, I believe, in California many years ago. And so even using the word bonus can be dangerous if you do it year in, year out. Now, if if I were a brand new startup and I had one or two employees and I was able to to give a bonus one year or maybe two before I got something really structured in place, that's probably okay. It's, it's a risk tolerance thing, but it can be dangerous long term in terms of people become reliant on it. And if there's no formula, so to speak, of how to calculate that, which is what profit sharing and the others kind of give you a formula or it's a set thing that you don't have to keep rethinking about and, and reinventing. Lastly, bonuses are tough because incentives aren't exactly aligned, are they? Because something about profit sharing that's nice is if the company doesn't turn a profit that year, people don't get the profit sharing. Whereas if the company doesn't turn a profit and you don't give bonuses, people can be really angry and they can blame management or the owners or they can say it's mismanagement and you spent a bunch of money on whatever thing that they don't like and therefore we didn't get bonuses you know, because we didn't make a profit. So bonuses, I think, have a time and place. I think that these days profit sharing or stock options are actually probably better ways to go. The second thing I want to touch on is equity. And I'm going through these 
almost in reverse order of which I think you shouldn't do. So the, the reason equity is tough, meaning if you just give 1% of your company to the first employee or 3% to you know the CEO that you bring in, equity grants, these are not stock options. These are equity grants where you are literally giving someone a portion of the company. They're taxable based on the current value of that company. And while that can be arbitrary, if you have a company that's doing, a SaaS company that's doing millions a year in revenue and you try to give someone 1% of it, the IRS is not going to believe you when, you know, they file that the value of, of that 1% is $1,000. I mean, you could have a serious taxable event if you were given, you know, a substantial amount of equity or even an insubstantial amount, you know, to be honest, if the company's large enough. Now, I will say that if you run a services business, oftentimes if you run, let's say, an accounting firm or a legal firm, those can tend to have uh, buy-ins where as you come up to become partner, they value the business and they say, okay, you need to buy 5% or 10% of this business and you have to buy in that amount over the course of several years and the partners are in essence taking that money out. Well, of course, that's not a taxable event for the person buying in. That's different. It's not an equity grant. That's just buying into a business and, and that is a model for its professional services usually use that model. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're running a SaaS company and you know, you're considering just granting equity to someone. So aside from it being a taxable event based on the current value of the company, assuming you are running a pass-through entity like an LLC in, in the United States, if you give someone equity, they now get a K-1 at the end of each year, which makes their taxes more complicated. And if they have never dealt with a K-1, they're likely maybe going to want to have to hire a, an accountant to do it. And so you can imagine this isn't a big deal if it's two founders of a company, but what if it's 20 or 30 employees that you want to incentivize and everyone suddenly, you've suddenly complicated everyone's taxes. That's not, you know, an ideal outcome, I think. Another thing to think about is whether you're an LLC or a corp, you need to have restricted units that vest over time. So this would be, even if in an equity grant, I wouldn't tend to just give someone 1% or 3% right at the start, right? Typically, you have a four-year vesting period, and there's an initial one-year cliff where they have to work for a year before they get any of the equity. And at that point, they get 25% and then vest it over the three years. That's the most common approach. Obviously, talk to a lawyer to get specifics. The interesting part about equity is it does make profit sharing easy because if someone owns 5% equity and you take out a distribution, then they get 5% of that distribution. It's simple. It's tried and true. The equity has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so, you know, it is simple in that respect. But honestly, there can be danger too. Let's say you have an LLC and it makes $500,000 in profit that year and you've given 1% equity to a key employee well, even if you haven't pulled money out, it's still in the LLC bank account. They get a K-1 for 1% of that $500,000, which would only be $5,000. But in essence, they would then have an income tax bill on $5,000, even though no money came out of it. So equity makes things complicated. I'll just put it that way. Know what you're getting into. I mean, to me, equity is for founder level or founding engineer type folks founding employee type folks, I should say. And, you know, if you have co-founders, you know what you're getting into, you know, straight equity with some vesting is, is obviously something that a lot, you know, a lot of us do. I mean, that's how it's normally done. But really for employee incentives and aligning incentives, I don't think personally that it is the best way to go. Oh, one last note, if you hold equity for less than a year, it's short 
short-term capital gains. And if you hold it for longer than a year, it's long-term capital gains. And that's actually one of the nice parts about it is, you know, if you do have an exit, whether you sell your shares or whether the whole company gets acquired, you do get that nice capital gains treatment that instead of essentially paying income tax levels on it, you pay whatever, 15 or, or 20%. So there's a much nicer basis there or there's a much nicer tax outcome. So those are my thoughts on equity incentives. Let's move on to stock options, which really are the standard Silicon Valley way to motivate folks above and beyond their salary. So a stock option is just an option to purchase stock in the company, and it's a specific amount. So you'll say you have 10,000 options. So that means you have an option to purchase 10,000 shares at a particular price called the strike price, and that's set each year by a company's filing with the IRS. That strike price is usually quite a bit less than their last funding round. It doesn't always wind up being that way. But what they say is, okay, you're starting with us today. Here's 10,000 options. You have to work a year. This is that one-year cliff. Work a year, then you get 2,500. And then each month after that, you get you know essentially 1 36th of the remaining amount up to four years. And they typically give you another big chunk of options to, to keep you retained so that you, you're always working to just build that up. And a lot of folks don't exercise their options and they just they keep them around. And as long as you're working at the company, you can just wait you know, until there's a liquidity event. Of course, the downside of that is you pay short-term capital gains on it. The good news about stock options is there's no capital gains to worry about. If you grant someone options, there's no real value to them because they're essentially an option to purchase at the price that the company was worth when you give them the option. So that's not, not a taxable event. And they don't receive a K-1 that complicates their taxes since they're just an option to buy a share in the future. It's not actually owning equity. And there's no profit sharing. You know, Unless you were to execute the option, they're designed to pay out if you have a liquidity event, like going public or being acquired. I guess if you had options in an LLC, it wouldn't be called stock because there's no stock in LLC, but unit options. And then you exercised and were holding those. In theory, if the LLC took a, a dividend or a distribution, you could get that. But I've never heard of that's just it's a very uncommon scenario, and I don't think you know people would typically go for that. And the other interesting thing about options is there's usually this exercise window where if you leave the company and you haven't exercised any of your options, you usually have about three months. And if you don't buy the options, they just revert back to the company and you get nothing. And that's an interesting, I don't, I don't really like that. I I actually disagree with that. I don't think it's super ethical. And I feel like that should be that window should be much, much longer, one, two, three years. And then there is a push for that to get longer because it kind of screws employees. You know, you think about an employee who comes in and they're going to get 10,000 shares at a $2 strike price. So that's $20,000 worth of options. And they work for the company for the full four years and then they leave. And so they have this $20,000 that they could purchase. Maybe they don't have that much in cash or maybe it's not a gamble that they can make at the time, but maybe the company sells or goes public a year or two later at $10 a share. I mean, in essence, they it's a big gamble for some people to make. And I feel like having a longer time to evaluate that and a longer time to be able to purchase options feels to me like a, a just a a better way to do it, a more fair way to do it. Last thing before I tell you my own story about an experience with stock options is that if you exercise your options and you pay the money, then you own the stock in essence. Usually it's restricted stock, but it depends on if the company's private or whatever. It often has restrictions that you can't sell it for a certain time. But if the company is private, then you are typically just holding stock that you can't sell. If they're public, you can 
typically execute and then sell, you know, the same day or the same week. And you then pay short-term capital gains on any gains that you get. So you pay income tax. What I have heard about is folks who have enough money that they'll exercise them, hold them for a year, hope that the stock, you know, is, is still higher than when they exercise. And then you get long-term capital gains treatment on that. So my own story with stock options is back in, oh, I'm trying to think, it's probably about 15 years ago, I was a lead developer and a technical lead for a, it was a prepaid, early, early prepaid credit card company in LA. And we got options and I worked there. Let's see, I, I got X thousand you know, options granted and I only stayed there for two years before I went out on my own. And so I got half the options that were granted. And when I left, I had to make the decision again within 60 or 90 days, do I buy these? So I did, I bought them all and I wound up you know, spending somewhere less, I think it was under about $10,000, which was quite a bit of money for me at the time. And I figured, hey, it's a gamble, you know, maybe it'll, maybe it'll turn out. And within a year or two of leaving, they raised another round of funding. So they didn't go public, but they allowed people who owned stock to sell a certain percentage of it. And I don't believe I sold any in that offering, but I did sell a little later for about, I think it was about, I sold about half of it for 10, 10x gain and then another half for between 10 and 20x gain. And so it was, it was several hundred thousand dollars, which was you know, re- obviously really nice at that point in my life. We used a big chunk of it as a down payment on a house and then, and then a chunk of it to fix the roof on said house and fix a bunch of other stuff that was, that was broken. Don't get me, don't get me started on, on home ownership. But all in all, it was a good outcome. If I'd stuck around another two years, obviously I could have made double the money, but I've always thought, you know, those were the years that, that I really cranked up on entrepreneurship. I started writing my book. I built the Micropreneur Academy. You know, it was some early day stuff. And I, I think there was a lot of uh, opportunity costs that probably wouldn't have been worth it. But my experience with stock options is that that one experience, they did later go public and I actually sold the last of my shares after they went public. And my experience, of course, was positive. The reality is in almost all cases, it's not, you know, there is no liquidity. Band. I mean, most startups fail, most venture funded startups fail. And so most venture funded stock options really aren't worth it. You know, they just aren't worth the money, aren't worth the, the paper they're printed on, so to speak. And that's the reality of kind of gambling on startups. I and mean, we know that as founders, that it's, you know, that it's dangerous and that it comes with risk. I think it's harder as an employee when you have so much less control over the company and over the success of it. But these are choices that, you know, that you have to make as an employee. Now, as a founder, as a CEO, if you're going the Silicon Valley route and you're raising uh, big rounds of venture funding and you're doing the Delaware C Corp, really stock options is the standard way. And if you did anything else, people would kind of look at you funny. I think with bootstrap startups, you can do this. I think a big question is stock options typically aren't worth much unless you plan to have a liquidity event. And that doesn't mean sell or go public necessarily. You can sell shares on a secondary market. Future employees can buy them back. Founders can can buy them. There can be some type of some type of liquidity events can happen. You could take just a minority investment even at some point if you wanted to provide liquidity for employees with a stock option pool. I think the bottom line is, you know, most startups and most SaaS apps do sell at some point. I mean, the vast majority they do sell within whatever time frame we could define, seven to ten years. There are very few bootstrappers who are still running the same. SaaS product that they were running 10 years ago. 
And so that is a reality to think about is there may likely be, you know, a liquidity event, even if you don't particularly plan on it today. So I think stock options are a reasonable choice. I I don't, I, I hate to even make a recommendation for or against. I think they're a longer term play for sure, because they do require that liquidity to, to be worth anything versus profit sharing, which is a more short term cash out of the business type approach. But frankly, if you're not going to pull cash out of the business, if you're in a high growth market, I think about when we were growing drip, we weren't pulling cash out of the business. And so if we had implemented profit sharing, people would have wanted us to become profitable. And the goal at that point was not to be profitable yet. It was to keep growing. And so in that sense, I think a better motivating or, or incentive alignment would have been through the use of stock options, even though that can feel weird. You know, I think about an LLC having stock options and it's totally possible to set up a structure like that, but it can feel a little different than the typical typical C-Corp setup. Again, I want to reiterate that not only am I not a lawyer or an accountant, but there are just a lot of pros and cons to these things. And if there were one right answer, then everyone would choose to do that. And it just depends on the situation and the specifics of the type of company you're trying to build and and how you're building it and if it's going to be profitable in the short term versus the long term and how you want to structure things for yourself. Lastly, let's talk about profit sharing. What's nice about profit sharing is really if, if you don't ever plan on selling or having liquidity events, then money in profit distribution kind of makes sense, right? It's it's what real businesses are built on. Real businesses that sell real products to real customers. And so to me, again, it makes sense to share those in some form or fashion that the employees and the team members who are building that company with you get to share in some form or fashion. One drawback to profit sharing that you don't see with the other approaches is that if an employee leaves, they don't take the profit sharing with them. Like it ends when their tenure with your company ends. So it's not like having equity or stock options where you can hold on to these things for a future gain. Like I left that credit card company two, three years before it went public, but I had that piece, that lasting piece of equity that I had exercised. So it's maybe not as ideal for employees who who want to leave, which works as an incentive to keep them there, but can also you know be kind of a bummer for folks when they leave. One thing I would think about if I were structuring profit sharing is to make it a pool, not a committed percentage to an individual. I think that's a mistake you can make with an early employee is to say, oh, you get 1% of profits or two or three. I would think more about, hey, let's have a 10% profit sharing pool and all key employees share in that, you know, or all employees share in that, such that as you add more people, obviously that first employee's percentage, you know, of the whole chunk will go down, but ideally the company should be growing and these individuals should be, should be contributing to that. If you're going to do profit sharing, probably want to stay away from being a C-Corp because that's going to give you double taxation, right? So you're going to want to be in a pass-through entity. And again, I mentioned trends.vc at the top of the show, but there's a really good report that Drew put together over there talking about the ins and outs of profit sharing. The best article I've ever seen written on profit sharing is from Peldi Gilzoni, and he wrote about the profit sharing that he designed for Balsamic, and we'll link that up in the show notes. But he basically said, you know, they started off with a 10% pool, so 10% of the profits, I believe each quarter were distributed, and then he moved that to 15% at a certain point, years into the company, and now he's up to 20%. And I love that range right there. That feels really solid to me. And that's, to be honest, a 10 to 15% stock option pool is also the standard size that a Silicon Valley startup would have. So that number does kind of ring in that zone that I've, I feel personally comfortable with. 
And so from Peldi's article, one thing he talks about is, A, they do quarterly distributions, and which I think is probably what I would do if I was going to do it, because if you do monthly, it's too often. It's just too much paperwork. And if you do yearly, then people wait around and it's bonus season and people will stay past that mark. If they're unhappy, they collect the profit sharing for the year and then they take off. And I just think... I don't like that gap. I think it should be three or six months tops. But Peldy says our quarterly bonus program allocates 20% of profits to full-time employees. 25% is split equally and 75% is split based on seniority. Then it's all weighed by the cost of living in each location. So that's how he structures it. And I, I do like that, that there's a part split equally. There's a part split by seniority. I have also heard of folks doing it based on the amount of salary people make, which can all, you know, and then not having that that cost of living of your location factor in because that's already factored in. One thing I would stay away from personally is using uh, performance evaluations as some type of, of thing that affects profit sharing. I think that that can be dangerous as different managers across a company might rate people differently. I also think, you know, if, if a performance evaluation. Basically, you should have A players on your team. And if not, then they should, they need to, to be let go in essence. And if someone is performing at a subpar rate, then you need to be addressing that rather than essentially docking a bonus. Because I, I just, there's a lot of ways that this can backfire. So personally, I would not be including employee performance as a part of the criteria. And one drawback of profit sharing is that it's really always taxed as income, right? It's a big hit if you're talking about you're in the 33 or 35 or 40% tax bracket and you get, you know, a chunk every three months in essence. Um, that's a big difference versus if you were drawing out dividends, uh, through, I guess that would be through a C-Corp, you'd pay double tax on it anyways, but, or if you had a stock that you were able to sell, right? That long-term cap gains is a really big difference and it can make a really big difference in, in the tax bill. But that is what it is. I mean, profit sharing is cash. It's a short-term motivator. I shouldn't say short-term because it can motivate people over the long-term, but it really does allow employees to focus on not only growing the top line, but potentially looking at reducing expenses, which because profit is obviously, you know, the revenue minus expenses. And so I do think that a lot of folks in your company can impact the net profit that it has. And if they're thinking about their share of that, I think it does a pretty good job of aligning those incentives in a way that perhaps stock options are pretty nebulous. And why is the stock worth more? Well, it's typically worth more when someone buys the company or when you raise that next funding round. And is me saving $2,000 a month on our AWS bill going to really impact the value of my stock options? It's very unlikely. Versus profit sharing, you can see the money hit the Excel spreadsheet, the Google Doc, and you could see how it could literally trickle down to not only the company's bottom line, but then to your own. Some companies have folks vest into profit sharing or, or not be eligible for the first six months or 12 months. And I don't think that's unreasonable much in the same way that many companies have a waiting period to get on health insurance or to start the 401k. And, you know, I think this is another perk that make sure the person's a fit for the team, that the team is a fit for the person, and then evaluate getting them set up with all of the benefits. So these days, if I was going to evaluate these approaches for my own SaaS startup, I would think about whether I was going to be able to run it profitably. And obviously, profit sharing might be the choice then. Think about whether I was going to grow this and, and sell it or have a liquidity event at some point. And then obviously, stock options might be a better opportunity. And, you know, again, I think bonuses can be useful in the early days, but personally, I, they're a little too arbitrary and can create a little bit too much chaos um, or just reinventing the wheel syndrome every year to 
personally be my favorite for having to run it long term. And then equity, obviously, I mentioned, you know, I think if it's founder level folks, then you can talk about that. But there are a lot of complexities there, taxable events and, and K1s and all that, that I, I don't think scales to really a, a full workforce. So thanks again for joining me this week as I talk through different ways to incentivize your team members. If you have thoughts or comments on this episode, please give me a shout out on Twitter at Rob Walling and at Startups Pod. And I will talk to you again in your earbuds next Tuesday morning.